last Sunday, we started a series of messages that we're calling Christ the Healer. And this morning, I want to talk about God's master key for life and health. When I was thinking about this message this morning, my mind went back to a time when I needed to access a number of rooms in our church building here, rooms at the front of our building and rooms at the back. And all the doors were locked into the rooms that I wanted to get into. So I went to the man with all the keys. He's got a huge bunch of keys, 50 or 60 or so keys on a huge bunch. Russell, in our in our sin bin, as we call it. I went to see the man with all of the keys. And uh, I told Russ all of the different doors that I needed to get into, to go into the rooms that I, I needed to work in. And um, Russ said, yeah, I've got keys for all of those rooms. And he pulled out. I mean, you need, a, you need to be a weightlifter to lift these things. There are so many keys that he's got. And he knows Every single key that fits all the different locks within our church facilities. He puts the big, huge bunch of keys on the table. The table nearly collapsed under the weight. And he said, there you go, Dave. And he he began to itemize all of these different keys that I needed to remember to take to open the doors that I needed to go through. And I'm just thinking in my mind, and I'm sure Russell could see it on the expression of my face, I'm thinking, my goodness, this is going to take ages. I'll get into one door, and then I'll forget all of the different keys that he's, that he's shown me, and I'm going to be there just, you know, ages trying to work out what key fits what lock. And he could see the frustration that I had. And then he said to me, he said, oh, Dave, he said, I seem to remember that we have a master key to fit all of the doors and open all of the locks to the rooms that you need to get into. And I said, I didn't know at the time that we had a master key, and I I didn't know really what a master key would do. I said, well, what do you mean, Russ? He said, well, he said, if I can find it, he said, I've got one key to replace all of these bunch of keys that will enable you to get into all of the different rooms through all of the different doors that you need to go through. He looked in his cupboard, he pulled out one key, put it in my hand, I left the bunch of keys behind holding one master key in my hand and opened all of the different doors that I needed to get to get through at the front of this building and to the rear of our facility here. I tell you that simple story this morning because God has given us a master key for life. God has given us a master key for life and for living. A key that will enable us to move through any fear. A key that will empower us to move through any circumstance or any crisis that would seek to beset us. A master key that will unlock life in all of its fullness. A master key that will give us life and health to all of our flesh. And when we hold this master key in hand, and when we take it into life, it will never fail us in its use. It will never let us down in its power. It will enable us to move and negotiate through any problem, any situation that might come our way. Of course, the master key that God has handed to each and every one of us is His eternal, unchanging word of promise 
That is the master key that we have the privilege of, as believers, to hold in our hand, to carry in our hearts, to, to enrich our minds and our lives through life. We have the privilege to hold it. We have the privilege to carry it. We have the privilege to use this master key to unlock the most complex of problems to face any impossibility in life confidently with this master key, God's eternal unchanging word, and see things work out and see things work through. This morning, we're going to begin by reading from Proverbs chapter 4. And here, in this chapter, and in fact, all the way through Proverbs, we're allowed to hear a conversation that Solomon is having with his son. The entire book of Proverbs is in essence a loving conversation of instruction and guidance that a father is having with his young son who is facing his future life ahead. It's like Solomon in Proverbs and throughout the book of Proverbs is handing over God's master key for life and health to his son. Because he wants his son to do well. He wants his son to be successful in life. He wants his son's future to be fruitful and blessed and everything that God has intended it to be. So he he. He advises him, Solomon advises him in the verses that we are about to read on the actions that this young man needs to take and the attitude that he needs to have if he's to see the power of God's Word working in his life. Let's read from Proverbs chapter 4, and we'll read from verse 20 through to verse 22. Solomon speaking to his son, he says, My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them, and health to all of their flesh. This master key that Solomon was handing to his son would be life as he found it and promised health to all of his flesh. Now, King Solomon, the man who wrote the book of Proverbs, was one of the most successful, richest kings in all of Israel's history. Yet even he at times faced bitter circumstances and sudden disappointments. However, in the midst of life's many changes, Solomon held this master key of God's Word in his possession the unchanging, the everlasting word of God's promise. He saw it unlock situations that were so complex and so impossible to man. It enabled him to see God's power at work through his word in his life, and he carried it all the way through. It never failed him. It never faltered. And in just these three verses that we've read, Solomon gives his son comprehensive instructions as he gives us comprehensive instructions and a series of stages in how his son is to value God's everlasting word of promise so that it could be the master key to unlock every situation, circumstance, and crisis that he might face or come into contact with. And it would be ultimately life, life, and health 
to all his flesh. Solomon was not just passing on to his son a bit of old advice. This wasn't just a bit of old advice that Solomon was giving to his son as he instructed him. No, this was the word of God's wisdom to him. And the word of wisdom, the word of God, had so become one with Solomon that he referred to it as my words and my sayings. Imagine for a moment your heart being so at one with God's Word that God's Word becomes one with what you say and, God's, and, and what you say becomes one in agreement with God's Word. That was the case for this great king, this wise man. God had made him the wisest man that had ever lived because for this reason, when he was inaugurated as a very young king, God one night appeared to him in a dream and asked him what he might like to receive from him. Solomon did not ask for riches. Solomon did not ask for extended life. Solomon asked for one thing. He cried and called from his heart to God for one thing, for wisdom. To, to, to rule and judge and, and, and look after the welfare of God's people. Wisdom was what he wanted. The Word, the living Word of God was what he needed in his heart. And that was the cry of his heart unto God. And God gave him everything else because he put first his Word. And he took hold of that master key. And oh, the blessing that came as a result of God's Word living in this King to all of Israel. The prosperity that it unlocked. The provision that it gave to all of God's people. Because one man decided to ask God for His living Word to live in his heart so that he could care for and look after his people. And here on this day, Solomon was pointing out to his son that if he would treasure God's Word and hold it in his heart, it would unlock all of life's blessings and health that he would need to walk well in life. From these verses that we've read, just these three verses, we see Solomon directing his son practically, step by step, in how to find God's life and health to all of his flesh. Firstly, to find life and health from God's Word, Solomon calls his son to give attention to what he's saying. Give attention to God's Word. In the first part of verse 20, he says this, My son, give attention to my words. You see, our attention is something that only we can give. It can't be taken through force or demanded because it's held under the control of our will. Not even God Himself will violate the will that He's given you. He respects your own sovereign right. That's how much He loves you because you're made in His image and created after His likeness. He he respects your own sovereign right to express and direct your attention as an act of your will in, in, in the given things that you would give it to. Not even God will take control of it. Solomon 
this wise man, knowing that, knowing that we have to give our attention as an act of our own will, calls his son to give it. He says, my son, give attention to my words, because that's where it all starts. That's where it all begins, by giving your attention. I don't know if you noticed this about yourself or even about others. Sometimes we struggle to listen, don't we? We struggle to listen. We struggle to give our attention when others are speaking in a conversation. Very often, we want to say what we have to say from our heart. We want to say what we are thinking, and as a result of that, we fail to listen well. So we interrupt, and we interject, only to find out after interrupting the person wasn't going to say what we thought or anticipated they were going to say anyway. But because we interrupted, because we failed to give our full attention to what was being said, our interruption was rude and changed the whole course of the conversation. Or if we don't jump in and interrupt... Our imagination wanders. And it may appear that we are attending to the words that people are saying. But we go into a dreamy state. And our minds wander. Maybe on that Big Mac. And fries. And chocolate shake. Or that apple sundae. It's not that we find the person that we're talking to boring, but it's just so much information that we fail to give our attention and our minds wander to all kinds of places far away from what's being said and what has been spoken. We struggle to attend to the conversation that we're supposedly listening to. Solomon, knowing this, lovingly says to his son, Son, if God's word is going to be health and life to all your flesh, you're going to have to give. You're going to have to give. You're going to have to Give, 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 give your attention to it. That's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to give your attention to it. This is the first stage. This is the first step to take. Give your attention to it. Don't become absent-minded. Don't let your imagination wander to other things. Hold your attention. Focus it right into what God has said and the wisdom of His Word through my voice. Listen to it. Attend to it in order to find its life and healing for your flesh. He was calling His Son to prioritize the Word of God to prize it as the highest thing of guidance for his life, warning him not to get distracted or to be absent-minded. Listen, listen with a motive not to be heard, but listen with attention to hear and receive, to learn and be taught. That's what we have to do when we give our attention to God's Word, God's promises. We have to listen 
with a motive not to speak or to be heard. We have to listen with a motive to receive and learn and be taught and understand. Life and health. Life and health would be the assured reward as this young man took this first crucial step in giving, in giving his attention to what God had said. Then straight after this, Solomon calls for further commitment from his son by saying in verse 20, the latter part, incline your ear to my sayings. It's a greater call of commitment now. First of all, give your attention, son. But there's a, there's a, there's a further call of commitment that I want you to take and understand. If you give your attention, it's a good first step. But the further, the further call of commitment that I want you to make is that I want you to incline, incline your ear to my sayings, incline your ear to God's Word, incline it to His wisdom. That's the guidance now. And He's calling His Son to be very selective about what He listens to. Solomon was very aware of the many voices of influence that would try to steer His Son in all of its different ways, away from what God had said, away from the wisdom of God's Word. Solomon was well aware of all of the different voices and views out there that would seek out his son to be a steer for his life. So he stresses the importance of inclining his ear to God's word of wisdom for his life. And this would invariably mean declining his ear to all the other voices and all the other views that would seek entry into his heart. By inclining his ear to God's word, he would be declining his ear to everything else. He would have to be selective in what he listened to if the Word of God was going to be the master key for his life. He would have to be selective about what he was going to hear and hold in his heart if the Word of God was going to be life to him and health to all his flesh every day. Every day, we hear all kinds of things through all various different forms of media. I mean, it's just a mass, a jungle of voices and noises and sounds and influences that we live in, that we have to contend with. But church, child of God, in the midst of this jungle of noise, this, this mass message that comes from all of the different forms of media. Church, child of God, incline your ear. Give your attention and incline your ear to the Word of the living God. Hallelujah. Make that decision. Hold that conviction in your heart. Because it will lift you up. It will do you good. As you meditate on it. And make it your source and resource for life and living. When we incline our ear to God's word. It's wonderful. Because all of the other voices and views. That, and influences that come our way. Immediately become assessed. And judged by the living word of God that we hold in our hearts. It does that. And like a sword, 
it cuts away anything that, that shouldn't be in our lives so that we can retain and hold all of the good things that God has for us in our life and in our future. Give your attention, son, he says. Incline your ear. But as he continues, he calls for more commitment from this young man. He calls for a greater involvement in relation to the Word of God when it comes to his life. Now, after the son has committed to give his attention, committed to incline his ear, Solomon calls his son not to let God's wisdom depart out of his sight. In verse 21, Solomon says to his son, in relation to God's word of wisdom, verse 21, do not let them depart from your eyes. It's one thing to give your attention. It's another thing to incline your ear to God's word. But equal to these is keeping God in the vision and in the view and in the sight of your mind's eye before you every day to prioritize it, to treasure it, to see it, to allow your mind to be filled with it as we keep it before our eyes. Our experience of life will be rich. Our experience of life will be abundant. Our expectations of life will not be low because, our, because they're, they're, they're taken and controlled by our feelings and by the words of others. No, our expectations of life for the future and for life experiences will be elevated high because God's Word always generates a high expectation in our lives. Solomon, knowing this, he says, Son, do not let them depart. Do not let them depart from your eyes. And Solomon's tone now is stronger and firmer. And there's a, there's a sense, I pick up a sense of alarm in the text, in this man's voice. And there's a great weight about what he's saying as he commands his son in this way. Not just to give his attention, not just to incline his ear, but to not let the Word of God depart out of his sight, to keep it within the reaches of his mind's eye all the time. Why does he say, do not let them depart from your eyes? The answer is very simple. Because God's Word can easily depart from our eyes as other influences and suggestions quickly can take its place. So Solomon instructs his son, don't let anything else come Insight, son, don't let anything else take control of your eyes. Don't let anything else captivate your vision or your view for life. Fix your mind's eye on God's Word for life. And then the last directive from Solomon to his son about how to treasure the wisdom of God's Word was for him to keep God's Word in the midst of his heart. Latter part of verse 21. This wonderful king with the wisdom of God in his heart as he advises his son says this, verse 21, keep them, he says, in the midst of your heart. It's interesting that the Hebrew word keep describes 
taking action to enclose and protect something of great value. Taking action to enclose and protect something of great value. Solomon says, when it comes to God's word, when it comes to God's wisdom, when it comes to the great and precious promises that have been given to us pertaining to life and godliness, the living word of God that can never fail, that's unchanging, that's eternal. When it comes to that, son, keep it. Keep it in the midst of your heart. Enclose it about. Protect it as highly valuable. And this word keep describes what we do when we build boundary walls around our properties or put our valuables in a safe and a secure place to protect them so that they remain ours. We keep them. We protect them. We ensure that they can't be taken away. We put alarms on our homes. We put our money in banks. We have immobilizers and every other kind of security system on our cars. We have firewalls on our phones and, and on our computers. And all of these various things we have on our devices and in our lives to protect what's valuable. The most precious thing that can be given to a man or a woman, life's master key, God's eternal word of promise that never changes, must be kept in our hearts. We must secure it. We must treasure it. We must see it as the greatest thing that we can be given. And this is what this loving dad is expressing to his son who's heading out into life, who wants to see a great future unfold for him. And he hands to him the actions necessary, the attitude needed, to walk well in life with the Word of God in hand. Solomon is telling his son, Son, it's your responsibility. It's nobody else's. It's your personal responsibility to keep the Word of God in the midst of your heart to protect that word, to watch over that word, that word that you're receiving from me. It's not just going to automatically be outworked in your life, son. You need to give me your attention, certainly. You need to incline your ear to it. You need to set your sights on it. But if it's going to work for you, you better, you better keep it, son. You better protect it because it's imperishable. It's eternal. You don't want to just let anybody walk into your heart and have right and rule of your life and take out the most precious treasure of your heart that's been put in there, the Word of God. Keep it, son. Keep it well. Look after it. It's your response, responsibility. This is how God's Word brings life and health to all of our flesh. My son, give attention to my sayings. My church could say, my church, give attention to my sayings. Incline your ear. Incline your ear to my words. Do not let them 
depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life and health to those that find them. Find them. You've got to find them. Take them. Value them. And receive them. We're privileged to be given such great and precious promises for life and godliness in Him. As we give our attention, as we incline our ear, as we set it before our view and our vision, as we keep it in the midst of our heart, it's impossible for it not. It's impossible for it not to do its work. Just in closing, in the closing moments that we have this morning, which is just another hour or so. <laughs> I'll try and be quick with an hour. Just in the closing moments, I want us to think about the application of this instruction from Solomon to his son in the life of Abraham. Just think about the application of this instruction from Solomon to his son in the life of Abraham. Because Abraham was a man of great faith. He was a man that trusted God. He was a man that gave his attention fully to what God said. He would not allow the promise of God out of his sight. And this man kept the word of God protected in his heart. And that enabled him to have faith for the impossible. That enabled him to see and receive everything that God had said to him. When Abraham was 75 years of age, God promised to make his name great. God promised, Genesis 12, you can read it when you go home. God promised that not only would he make his name great, but he would have innumerable descendants. He said that all, listen, all the families of the earth would be blessed as a result of him. He would make him a great nation. In fact, the name Abraham means exalted father. That's what it means. So whenever God called his name Abraham, he was calling him exalted father. When, every, when anybody else around him called him Abraham, the name, the message from his name was exalted father, exalted father. His name, that's what it meant, exalted father. But his life was a contradiction to his name because he didn't have any children. And he couldn't have any children because his wife, Sarah, was barren. And yet, after God had called him, a little way down the road, maybe ten years or so, God came to him again. And he cut a covenant with him. And he said, son, he said, as innumerable as, as the stars are in the heavens, and as innumerable as is the sand beneath your feet, so shall your seed be. God was speaking things that are not as though they are. Because that's what He does. And when he, when he says anything, He does it. Even though it may seem as if nothing's happening. Even though it may seem as if it's impossible to fulfill the promise. God speaks those things that are not as though they are. You look up, 
In the evening, Abraham, and you see all of those stars, sun, your descendants are just going to be like that one day. You look down, the sand beneath your feet, my goodness, Abraham, as innumerable as the dust beneath your feet, so will be your descendants. But Abraham didn't have any descendants because his wife was barren, and they couldn't produce children. So was God lying? God, you little liar. No, God doesn't lie. God is the God that declares that which is not as though it is and will be. And his word of promise to Abraham was that one day he would have descendants as innumerable as the stars in the heaven and as innumerable as the sand beneath his feet. They couldn't do anything about their physical condition. So what did they do? They rested. They rested in the fact that God had said what he said. And they believed it. We could say that Abraham gave his attention. Even when it seemed as if nothing was happening, Abraham gave his attention to what God had said, even though his life contradicted his name, even though it looked as if everything was moving in reverse because they were getting older. It looked as if everything was contradicting what God had said in the natural, but Abraham gave his attention to what God had promised and the covenant that God had cut to fulfill it, okay? He gave his attention. He inclined his ear. He wouldn't let it out of his sight, and he kept it in his heart. Protected. Do you know how long he kept that word in his heart? He kept it in his heart for 25 years. That's a long time. That's a long time to hold on to a promise. That's a long time when your body is getting older and weaker to give it your attention, to incline your ear before it, to not let it depart from your eyes and keep it protected in the midst of your heart. 25 years, Abraham kept it patiently in their hearts. In that time, now this is what I love about Abraham and the Bible doesn't hide it. In that time, they used their own strength on one occasion to try and fulfill God's promise and ended up with Ishmael. But you know what? And be encouraged because I'm greatly encouraged by this. Do you know what? God didn't hold their failure against them. God didn't even mention it. He just said, listen, your seed is not going to be an Ishmael, the one that you've made with Hagar. No, your seed is going to be in Isaac. Now, the problem with that was this. When God said that, Abraham was 100 years of age and Sarah was 99. They trusted God. The time came for when God would fulfill his promise. Listen to how Romans 4, I'm going to ask the musicians to come. We're going to close right now. Listen to Romans 4 and how it speaks about Abraham's faith and trust in what God had said. Wonderful, wonderful words. Describing a man who gave his attention, inclined his ear, wouldn't let the word of God out of his sight, keeping it in his heart. Romans 4 verses 18 through to 21 says this, against all hope. Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, 
He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was dead, she was knocking on 99. Yet he did not, listen, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God, but was strengthened. His body was weakened, but he was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he's promised to do. God has power to do what he has promised to do. If we We'll give our attention to the Word of God, incline our ear to it, and not let it depart from our eyes, keeping it in the midst of our heart. God will do what He has promised to do because He has power to do it. And His Word working in us will give us the life we need, will be the the health to all of our flesh, just as this wise king revealed to his son. I don't know what you're believing for this morning. It may be you're believing for life and health to all of your flesh. Weeks have gone by. You've had hands laid on you. You've had people pray for you. You've held on to the promise of God. Weeks have gone by. Months have passed even years, even years, have come and gone as you have faithfully believed the Word of God. And just like Abraham, your father in the faith, just like Abraham, it would seem that all hope is against you, but in hope, in hope, you believe. Even though your body is weakened, your faith is strengthened because God in His power is able to perform the word that you're believing, that you're holding on to, that you're attending to, that you're inclining your ear to, that you're not letting depart out of the vision of your mind and keeping it in the midst of your heart. God will perform His word the word that he speaks over you, the word that you're holding onto, whether it's healing, physical healing in your body, whether it's healing and wholeness in your mind, whatever it might be, whether it's a life issue that you're asking God to meet. He's the God, as we sung, the God of miracles. Amen. I'm going to pray right now. Come on, let's give God. Thanks for his word. This morning, I'm going to pray right now. Before I do, I'm going to read one more verse that I've got down here because it kind of just caps off what we're talking about this morning and encouraging ourselves in. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul says this. Let the word of Christ Dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing. Admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Let the word of Christ dwell within you richly, in all of its wisdom in all of its teaching and instruction, in its admonishment. Allow it to dwell in you, child of God, because, because it will be life to you. It will. It will be life to you and health to all of your flesh. It's time. It's time to get excited about the Word of God. It's His gift to you. It's a master key that He wants you to hold into your hand irrespective of what faces you, irrespective of what comes against you, irrespective of what seeks to attack you 
and confine you and limit you, irrespective of those final facts that seem so immovable and unchangeable in your life. It's time to stand up, child of God, with the Word of God and, and contradict what's coming against you by the praises of your mouth and the Word of God that you hold in your heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today that we are in your presence. We thank you as your, as your children, as your people, that you call us as your family, as your body, the church. We thank you that you've given us your wonderful word. It's all-powerful. It's living. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's within us. Lord, as we give our attention to it, incline our ear to it, set it before our eyes, and keep it in the midst of our heart, we thank you that this living word will produce a wonderful harvest in the good soil of our hearts. I pray for every single person under the sound of my voice. Lord, you know the attacks of sickness and disease that try to afflict our bodies. We stand together this morning as your family. And Lord, we take great encouragement from your word and the example of your word in Abraham's life. He waited for 25 years but in the end, through faith and patience, he inherited the promise of God in Isaac. Lord, I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice to know physical healing in their bodies as a result of the new covenant that has been ratified in your blood, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray for not only physical healing within our bodies. Holy Spirit, we ask you for wholeness in our minds, that you, would, that you would give us strength and confidence that we would be, like David said, as bold as lions. The righteous are as bold as lions, and the wicked flee when no one's pursuing them. We pray that you would so enrich our lives and that we would take to ourselves your word. That, Lord, we would see its transforming power and its fruitfulness. In Jesus' mighty name, we ask it for your glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.